Welcome to the house of God. We've been praying for you and expecting that God is going to speak to you and encourage your heart today with the word. Just this morning, I'm driving here with my wife in a hurry. A truck cuts off from the middle lane, misses his exit, and cuts off another car, and so they stop right in front of us. And of course, people are angry. I'm even saying, what is this guy doing? What is happening here? Can't believe he just did that, I'm telling my wife. And I was thinking a few months ago, I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like I've seen an escalation in impatience, in anger, in people driving a little bit crazier on the highways. And I thought, well, maybe it's just me, but I read a study recently that spoke to the effect of driving and rage. And here's what it says. This is by a psychology professor at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay, who researches anger, road rage, and aggressive driving. Some of you would be good candidates for his research. And this psychologist says this. Underlying stress, isolation, trauma from grief during the pandemic are bleeding into everyday life, particularly driving. During the last year, an average of 42 people per month nationwide have been shot and killed or wounded in road rage shootings. That's double the monthly average for the prior four years. Think about this. Every single month this year, 42 people just driving have been shot, have been killed, or have been wounded because there's this anger spilling into every aspect and area of life. I travel a lot, and I go through a lot of airports. I've noticed it at airports. There's this aggression sometimes against people on the plane. I've seen people explode and security have to deal with them. I've seen it uh, in grocery stores. I've seen it at restaurants. I've seen it in driving. I've seen it in the faces of mothers and fathers dealing with their children. I've seen it as spouses talk to one another. This escalation of impatience, aggressiveness, and yes, what we call anger. And today I want to talk to you. I spoke to the men uh, a, a couple of weeks ago about this. And so if you are here, some of this will sound familiar to you. But I want to talk to you about diffusing anger. Stop destroying your world. How does anger show up? Well, in different people, it shows up in different ways. Sometimes it shows up in explosiveness, this violence and aggressive, this slamming things, this crazy driving, this banging on walls. Sometimes it shows up more in stewing. It's that passive aggressive underlying, you see it on the face, this anger that's there. Sometimes it's irritability. It seems like nothing 
little things can just set someone off and they seem right on the edge, right on the edge of explosion or irritation or argumentation. Uh, sometimes it shows up in hostility. E immediately the posture is one of enemy versus enemy. Hostility, walking down the hallway, hey, watch your way. Uh, any little thing, parking a car, that was my parking space. Don't get too close to me. Hostility, ready for that combative posture. And sometimes it shows up in aggression. I believe that God wants to speak to us this morning. In fact, I believe I have a word for you that some of you are immediately going to connect with what I'm saying because you know clearly that you are one of those pe people that's on the edge. Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Ephesian believers. And in verse 26 through 27, he unloads some powerful insight into dealing with anger. I'm going to read these verses to you. This version says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. The message uh, translation, which is more of a colloquial everyday man translation, says, go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't let your anger as fuel for revenge, and don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. So are you ready today to learn? Anybody already say, don't, you don't have to raise your hand, but pastor, I'm one of those. I'm one of those. Just kind of nod at me with your eyes. Just let me know with your eyes that you're with me. Don't let your spouse know because he's going to start poking you. If you admit, so I've already noticed some of you poking each other and looking at each other as soon as the topic of anger. Some of you, I saw you go like this already. I believe that you need to put four stops to anger. Four stops to anger that are found in this passage. Stop number one, write this down. Stop anger from crossing the line. Anger can quickly turn into damaging, destructive behavior if not stopped or channeled. Notice what it says in verse 25. It says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. The Apostle Paul establishes the fact that we are interconnected. There is this mentality that I can have issues in my life, and those are my issues. The Apostle Paul is establishing the fact that, no, your issues spill over into other people's issues. No man is an island. You are interconnected. I want you to know and hear me very well. If you are struggling with bitterness, resentment, aggression, anger in your life, and you are a part of a family, you are affecting your family. There is no way that you can be angry yourself and it not have a consequential effect on the ones that you love the most. Typically, your spouse, your children, your friends, 
those that are closest to you. So do not deceive yourself into thinking that your issues aren't affecting other people. They are. The Apostle Paul says in verse 26, after establishing that we are interconnected to one another, he's talking about the idea of taking off the old and putting on the new. He's talking to believers that are growing. He's letting them know this is who you were, but this is not who you are now. This was part of your old lifestyle, but you've been called to a new life in Christ. And then he tells him at the end of this verse 25, he said, or at the beginning of verse 26, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Another translation says, be angry and do not sin. So let me just clarify from the beginning as we talk about anger. Anger is an emotion, not a sin. Let me say that again. Anger is a God-given emotion, and it's not a sin. But anger, if left unchecked, can lead to sinful behaviors and a lot of destruction. God became angry, and God is sinless. Jesus, on a few occasions in Scripture, the Bible tells us that Jesus was angry. I believe that there are certain situations where we should be angry. There are situations of injustice, the anger, this emotion, this energy that, that sort of builds up inside of us and demands action. At times, there's a righteous anger. There's an anger that should uh, spill up from inside of us when we see people victimized, when we see injustice done, when we see, we see someone be taken advantage of. There is a place for anger, a righteous indignation. By the way, God has made you an emotional being. Sadness, happiness, anger, those are all part of the emotional spectrum that as human beings we experience. It makes us more empathetic. It can be used in good ways when someone is grieving over the loss or death of someone. You have the ability to feel sadness for that person and enter into their pain and you empathize with them. When someone is celebrating a great victory in their life or a birthday or an anniversary or a wedding, God has given us the ability to uh, rejoice and be happy with them as well. That's part of who God has made us as human beings. And so I want you to understand that anger is not a sin, but oftentimes anger can lead to sinful behavior. Uh, Mark chapter 3 verse 5, talking about Jesus says, he looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn heart. But notice what Psalms chapter 4, verse 4 says, in your anger, do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And notice what Proverbs says, the book of wisdom. Verse, chapter 16, verse 32. He who is slow to anger and rules his spirit is better than the one who captures a city. So let me put it this way. 
Anger is like if you have ongoing, reoccurring, chronic anger. It's like lights on a dashboard of your car. You need to pay attention because what the light indicates is that under the hood, something has malfunctioned. Now, I know I'm talking to some of you that you tolerate lights in your dashboard for a long time. Someone gets in the car and says, why is this light been on? I don't know. It just goes on. It's been on for six months. Some of you ignore lights on your dashboard of the car. Some of you have no idea what it means. And the mechanic, when you take it in, the mechanic says, now, how long has this been a turn? I don't know, you know, seven or eight months. And he says, why didn't you do something about it sooner? This has created major damage in your car because when you ignore the lights on the dashboard, they are electronically connected to components in your engine that indicate that unless you pay attention, it could lead to very detrimental effects on your car. You could have a breakdown. If you are chronically irritated, if you are regularly angry, if your kids are telling you, Mom, what's wrong with you? You seem to be always angry. If your spouse says, you know what? You need a vacation or something because I can't say anything around you without you exploding. If your coworkers are worried about you and someone takes you aside and says, are you okay? Why? Because you always seem on edge. Then let me tell you, you have flashing lights on your dashboard indicating that there is something in your engine that needs to be fixed. And in your case, you're not a car, you're a human being. So there's something in your soul or your spirit that needs attention because it's manifesting itself in anger. Now, the emotion of anger, as I said already, is okay for you to have. But when that emotion gives way to cutting, detrimental, critical, abusive language to your spouse or your children, something's wrong. When your language gives, or when your anger gives way to aggression, then you've crossed from the emotion to sin. When you get violent or physical with your words or your physical body, then you've crossed some lines that does damage to people around you and it's become sinful. And so the first stop is you need to stop. If you have chronic anger, you need to stop and say, there's something inside that needs to be fixed and I need to be a, pay attention to it because it's giving way to sin. Number two, write this down. The second stop is you need to stop anger from surviving overnight. Anger that's less left to fester will evolve into something quieter but deadlier. It tells us, do not let the sun go down while you are angry. Now, I know that in Alaska, there's certain days where the sun doesn't go down. So if you want to be angry, go to Alaska because you have a long time to be angry there. The point that he's making is that if you're angry, you need to deal with your anger in that day. Because if you go to bed angry, think about married couples. You have a fight. You're angry. I don't want to deal with it tonight. I'm too tired. 
So you go to bed and you sleep as far, you're almost falling off. You're like so close to the edge of the mattress that you're about to fall off. And if the other person gets close, you say, give me space. Don't even, don't even touch me. And then when you wake up in the morning, you feel like you're better. You feel, you don't feel the explosive emotion of anger. But I'm going to tell you something. You haven't dealt with the issue. You've only given it time so that the explosiveness has died down. But if you don't deal with it, what happens during the day? You go to work, your husband goes to work, and you think in your mind, he did this. I can't believe he did that. I would have told him this. I need to tell him this. When he comes home, I'm going to say this, this, that. I'm going to call his mother and tell him what, what he did as well. And, you know, he always does. And so you rehearsed it and nursed it and, and cursed him. All, all in the same thing. And so then when he gets back, you know, you're not explosive, but your anger has turned to something else. You let it go for a while and you don't deal with it. Let me tell you, your anger is not explosive, but your anger has turned to something that's quieter, but almost more deadly. It turns to resentment, it turns to unforgiveness, and it turns to bitterness. So I'll sit down with a married couple and I say, are you angry at your husband? No, no, I was, I'm not anymore. But there's this sense of, I despise him. Don't talk to me. Don't touch me. I don't want to be around. There's a wall that's come up, and I've seen this over and over in couples, that they don't deal with their anger, and they let it turn into something more deadly. It's quieter, so we say we're not angry, but really, we're dealing with the evolution of anger. The evolution of anger is resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness that brings up walls, and it starts to invade our spirit. It causes us to view that person in a negative light. We cut down any kind of emotion that we have there, and ultimately, it leads to the devastation of our marriage. Because we let anger survive overnight and over week and over month and over year. So the Apostle Paul tells these believers, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. The idea here is you need to deal with the root of anger or it will become more deadly. Number three, write this down. Not only do we need to let anger, uh, not let it turn into sin, we need to stop it from going overnight. Number three, we need to stop anger from gaining a foothold. Say foothold. Because anger can open a door that allows spiritual poison to fill your life. You say, well, what is a foothold? The Apostle Paul speaks specifically, and do not give the devil a foothold. Well, the, greater, the better, best illustration I can think of is what I'm holding in my hand. We call this a what? Some of you, I have no idea what you're holding in your hand. For those of you that are not watching in the video, just listening to this message, I'm holding in my hand a, what we call a door stopper. This is a door stopper. What was it invented for? To stop doors. 
Here's how the door stopper works. We take this simple device called a door stopper. When we want to move things in and out of the house, when we're bringing in groceries, when we want the door to stay open, we simply put this device by the door, and when the door goes to close, it is stopped from closing because there is an obstacle to its closing. It's simple, it's convenient, and it's helpful when you're loading groceries in and out of the house. However, the image here that the Apostle Paul gives us is of the enemy trying to take advantage and get something into your house. And what he, what he says is, do not give the devil a foothold, a door stopper. Do not let him get his foot in the door and hold the door open. And he's using it in the context of anger. Can I talk to you folks? Listen, when you allow anger to invade your heart as an emotion and leave it unchecked, then the anger will evolve into bitterness, resent, resentment, aggression. That anger that's left in your life, the dashboards are blinking, but you're not dealing with it then suddenly you have, well, you have let the enemy put a door stopper because now the door that opened for anger and sin in your life is not closed because of ongoing anger in your life. I've never met an angry person that doesn't try to placate their anger by unhealthy compulsions like some people, when they, I've heard people say, you know, I don't know, I'm just stressed out all the time and stressed out. So when I get home, I just roll one up and. <sighs> and other people say, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just, I just need to take the edge off me. I just, I'm just I'm irritated all the time. I'm stressed all the time. So I go and I drink and, you know, I, I probably drink too much and, uh, you know, I, I need it more and more. And, you know, I kind of stumble into my household because of the root of anger, which is typically rooted in some sort of pain, and it helps us forget the pain and the anger that's there helps us cope with life. And you say, well, pastor, I'm not, I don't do drugs and I don't drink, so you're not talking to me. You know, we have a lot of ways of doing it. I know some people that it's the tub of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. <laughs> Chocolate chip. And you, when you are stressed, you sit and watch reruns of The Office for hours as you put an entire tub down. And it's your way of placating the pain and the anger, diffusing it, because your anger needs to be, it needs to be subsided. The pain needs to go down. Anybody that's running from something always becomes addicted to something else. And there's a lot of ways of becoming addicted to a lot of different things. And whether it's alcohol or whether, it's, whether, whether you're, you're smoking marijuana or whether you're eating tubs of Ben and Jerry or whatever you're doing. Maybe you're a workaholic just trying to uh, drown it out. You become addicted to something because you're trying to bury the anger and the pain of something that has. You just put a door, you put an open door to the enemy, and now you find yourself addicted to things. Now you find yourself convulsive. By the way, I believe that anger and lust are cousins. 
Show me a man that has major, major anger issues, and I'll show you a man that struggles with lust, typically. And that probably applies to women as well. But it's this idea as I feel angry, I feel this urge inside of me, I feel this pain inside of me. And so pornography is a real easy way to placate that. It's just a click away on the cell phone or on the computer screen and it makes me feel good for a moment and I'm engaged in someone that I don't have to, that, that I have no responsibility to and so it becomes addictive and someone starts and then they go over and over and every time they feel a little angry, they feel like the, com- the compulsion to get on a pornography site and at first it's you know every other day then it becomes daily then it becomes hourly then they become so comp- uh, so compelled to it it's an addiction every time they feel a little angry every time they feel a little pain they have to go to that addiction and they find themselves bound by the thing that was giving them relief what is that called That's called a foothold. The enemy used undealt with anger and pain to get into your life, to sabotage you. As long as that door is open, lies, deception, garbage, and the enemy takes all. He robs from you, steals from you, takes from you, puts things in your life that you don't want to be there. Why? Because there's a foothold that was opened through the emotion of anger that evolved into something sinful like resentment, unforgiveness, and bitterness, and now the enemy's having a field day in your life. You've lost your joy, you're addicted to things, you're unhappy, uh, the people around you become miserable, why? And you're a believer in Jesus. The apostle Paul is strong about this. There's a spiritual component to it. It's not just emotional, social. It's not just about addictions. There's a spiritual bondage that's tied into this. Do not give the devil a foothold. Hebrews chapter 12, by the way, verse 14 through 15, says it this way. Pursue peace with everyone as well as holiness He's speaking about relationships that are in conflict. Without which no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. The grace is the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. And that no root of bitterness springs up to cause trouble and to defile many. Bitterness typically is birthed out of undealt with anger and pain. The root is planted. The vine starts growing. In the beginning, it's barely imperceptible, but that vine starts growing. It gets more and more traction. It involves your heart. It takes a hold of your mind. It gets into your relationships. It wraps itself into your personality. And now it starts to defile people around you. It affects the people that you love because you cannot be a bitter person without it spreading to others, without it affecting others, without it hindering your relationship to other people. And the Bible calls it a root of bitterness that springs up to defile many. 
The only way you deal with a vine, you can clip it and trim it, but if you're going to get rid of it, you got to go to the root and pluck it out by its root. Number four, write this down. And lastly, stop anger from grieving the Holy Spirit. Anger can anchor itself in your soul and begin to grieve the Spirit. Look what it says in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Who is the Holy Spirit of God? It's the third person of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the parakalite in the Greek. The counselor, the coach, the helper. The moment that you bow your knee and give your life to Christ and are truly born again through faith, solely dependent on Jesus Christ, and you have this conversion experience in which Jesus becomes Lord of your life, followed up by baptism, rerouting the way you live your life and how you live, the Holy Spirit is the agent of change. He comes inside of you. Your body now is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is in you. He convicts you. He encourages you. He counsels you. Man, you want the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. As you open up the word, he opens up your mind to understand truth. When you fall into sin, he convicts you and brings you back. When you go to worship God, he says, Abba, Father. And you find yourself supernaturally drawn into the presence of God because of the Holy Spirit. No one gives you a rule book when you become a believer, but innately you know that certain things are wrong because the Holy Spirit says, no, that's not you. Stop away. You, you feel grieved by certain things. It's the Holy Spirit. You open up your mouth to tell people about Jesus, and suddenly you're using words that you never thought you had. I've had, I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I don't know what happened to me. I was at work. I opened up my mouth, and I thought to myself, I sound like Pastor Mark. And... and let me tell you, it's not Pastor Mark, it's the Holy Spirit putting words in your mouth to speak and preach. He, he teaches you how to pray. He teaches, he gives you power to do things. It's called the spiritual gifts that you didn't know you had. He empowers you to overcome sin that you never knew that you could overcome. I mean, the Holy Spirit is our helper, our 24-hour helper that God has given us. And he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. By the way, a side note. At the moment of your salvation, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That means that you are given the deposit of the Holy Spirit, that you, that deposit cannot be taken away from you. It is there to stay until you are redeemed, until you meet God face to face. In other words, it is the deposit in your life telling the whole world, like when you go to buy a house, you put a deposit down, and that house is yours. You're still making payments on it, but it's yours. Your ultimate payment is when you meet God face to face, but you already have a deposit in your life. It's called the Holy Spirit. That deposit tells people this person belongs to God. Let me tell you, you can go to church and the Holy Spirit is with you. You can go to a seedy, skanky strip club. And I'm going to tell you the Holy Spirit is still with you. You can't check the Holy Spirit at the door. He goes into the strip clubs with you. He's there with you. That's why you, you get a little bit uncomfortable. Why? Because the Holy Spirit says, hey, man's eyes, what are you watching? What are you looking at? That's not who you are. That's not where you belong. Get out of this place. You can't check the Holy Spirit 
in the church, the Holy Spirit is sealed within you until the day of redemption. And you say, well, pastor, in Psalms 51, David says, do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. Yeah, because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and left. But in the New Testament, under the new covenant, you are sealed and the Holy Spirit can never leave you if you are truly born of God. Now, all that to say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Listen to me well. You are so connected to the Holy Spirit that when the Holy Spirit has joy in the presence of God, your spirit has joy in the presence of God. You are affected by the Holy Spirit, the joy, the worship, the Abba Father. When you allow anger into your life that leads to sin and resentment and bitterness and rage, the Holy Spirit is grieved. And when the Holy Spirit is grieved, you also become grieved. You feel the weight of it. You lose the joy of your salvation. You sense the grieving of the Spirit inside of you. And you cannot function like you normally function because the Spirit is grieved inside of you. And so the Apostle Paul is telling the believers, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And in order to not grieve the Holy Spirit, look what he says in verse 31. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. What he's telling you that that doesn't belong in your life anymore. That's who you were before you came to know Jesus. But if you hold it in your life now, it grieves the Holy Spirit, which in turn grieves you, which causes you to live as a person that has no joy, and you're a believer, but you feel like something's wrong. What's wrong is that you're living, grieving the Holy Spirit, and it's God's way of pressuring you to deal with something because you feel the grief in your life, you lose the joy of your salvation, it's not where you should be, it's not how you can be, now he's still in you, but he's grieved. Undealt with anger that leads to resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, brawling, aggression, is a form of grieving the Holy Spirit. I close with this. In verse 32, he says, But instead of that, be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. As the musicians make their way forward, I want you to pause for a moment. If you are a believer in the Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, the question that I would ask you is, are you living right now grieving? Are you in a season where you are grieving the Holy Spirit? 
Are, are you in a spiritual season in which the Holy Spirit is grieved because you've allowed anger to give way to sin? And you have this undercurrent of bitterness or resentment, a critical spirit, a pain that you haven't dealt with before God. And the enemy has taken advantage of it and left an open door, and so the enemy comes out and in, throws stuff in your life. It's damaging your spiritual walk. It's been a while since you felt the joy of God and the power of God. It's been a while since you felt the pleasure of God in your life, because there's grieving that's happening of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I want to say to you, uh, first of all, I want you to know that you did not earn or merit your salvation through works, and you cannot lose your salvation through bad works. You're sealed into the day of redemption. You can try, listen to me, you can try to run from God if you're truly born again. You can try to escape from conviction. You can try to block every Jesus-loving, Bible-thumping, holy freak in your entire contact list. You can try to drive miles out of the church so you're not reminded of those people. But if you are truly born again, you cannot escape the compelling, powerful, ever drawing love of God that will bring you back to himself. You just can't escape it. Because you are sealed, sealed until the day of redemption. But you can be sure miserable for a long time. And so my altar call is for this. If you are here and you say, Pastor, I think that I am grieving the Spirit right now because there's some areas of anger that I've allowed in my life. I feel like they may have led to overindulgence in areas in my life that have opened up other doors in my life that I'm trying to close, but I want to, but they're hard. I think I'm grieving the spirit. And you know what? I'm tired of it. I want to close the door. I want to go to the hard places today and say, God, I've been grieving your spirit. And today I close the door on anger. And I say, Lord, deal with these areas in my life that I have to, if I have to forgive, if I have to deal with my bitterness, if I have to have a conversation, if I have to forgive, Lord, I'm going to do it because I do not want to grieve your Holy Spirit. Listen, listen to me, men of God. I don't want to damage my family because I live as an angry individual that splashes over onto my children and to my spouse. 
and allow my anger issues to have collateral damage on the people that I love the most. It's time to close the door. So I'm going to invite you just a moment. If you feel like there's an anger issue that God is saying, close the door. It's time to close the door. You're grieving the spirit. Then I'm going to invite you to get on your knees. The, the 930 service is packed here with people dealing with issues. And I have a feeling that the 1130 service is not that much more holy than the 930 service. So I also want to say, listen. If you've never bowed your knee to Jesus, if you've never professed him as Lord, if you've never publicly said, I choose to follow Jesus, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. You may be in a church, but you're not a Christian. Let's be clear about that. Being in church doesn't make you a Christian. Being baptized as a baby doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is when you surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus clearly and repent and choose to follow him. So listen, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you say, Pastor, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I'm not even a follower of Jesus, then listen, half of the things I'm talking about, you can't overcome in your own power. You need a power that's much greater than you, first of all, to forgive you of your sins and to wipe your slate clean, to bring you into the relationship with God, and then to bring his Holy Spirit inside of you. And so as I open, as I welcome people to this altar, if you're not a believer yet and God is calling you and you say, I need to give my life to God, I know I need to. I'm not even sure why I'm in this church this morning, but there's something inside of me that I know I have to give my life to God. I know I need to. I'm going to ask Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike Barry, he's around here somewhere right here. He's going to be right up here. If you say, I need to give my life to Christ, I need to give my life to God today, then I'm going to ask that you just come up to Pastor Mike. I know he looks mean, but he's a lot friendlier than what he. Now, he'll pray with you. He'll pray with you. Come up to Pastor Mike and say, I'm here because I need to give my life to God. Listen, I, I sense that there's some people here that God is calling you. You've sensed, you know, you felt it. And Debbie's right there with him. She's not coming to get saved. She's already saved, but she's right there with him to pray with him. This altar is open. If you're grieving the spirit right now or allowed anger to set in, it's time for you to get on your knees and to say, God, I close the door. I go to the hard places. I'm willing to forgive those. I'm willing to release. I will not live grieving your spirit. And if you need to give your life to Christ, then you go right up to Pastor Mike and say, I need to give my life to Christ today. This altar's open. As we begin to sing, just find a place at this altar. Get on your knees and say, Lord, today I'm closing some doors in Jesus' name. Today I'm closing some doors in Jesus' name. Let's sing.